to talk Tuesday. And today our video is about Charles Manson, who is a lunatic. Let me tell you, this is a really interesting story. I think a lot of people have already heard of Charles Manson. Um, I definitely have, but I didn't know anything about the story, to be honest with you guys, before I researched for this video. Charles Manson died um, last weekend, November 19th. Uh, he passed away from natural causes in prison. So I got, all of a sudden, I got a ton of requests to do a video on him. Now, some people were like, please don't do a video on Charles Manson. We already have seen too many videos on Charles and there's just already too much content out there about him so don't do it so I did a Twitter poll and the majority of you guys wanted the video so we are gonna get into that video here so Charles Manson was born on November 12th of 1934 he is a Scorpio born in Cincinnati Ohio to Kathleen Maddox who was only 16 when she had him he was a struggling alcoholic and a prostitute so as you may guess things were tough for Charles from birth. You know, your childhood really determines a lot of your future. For some of his childhood, he even stayed with aunts and uncles um, in a very religious family. Uh, he had to go to church a lot and he hated church, except for he liked the singing and that was his first introduction to music. As he got older, he was placed in like boys schools and stuff, like home away schools and he would run away from them. He was bounced around from place to place, person to person and could never really understand his mother. His mother was extremely fucked up. She allowed the court to place him in the Givault School for Boys. After 10 months, he ran away to find her, but she would not take him back. His mother was his main source of anger, like definitely. When you see him talk about it, I'll put in a clip, he's so angry and especially angry at her for lying to him. The only thing my mother taught me was that everything she said was a lie and I learned never to believe anyone about anything. The whole, you know, society structural thing was never a good fit for Charles. He ended up um, on the streets mainly and doing petty crimes such as breaking into gas stations, armed robbery, even auto theft. Um, so I don't even know if those are considered petty crimes, but uh, yeah, he ended up in jail pretty young. He was still just a teenager when he started spending time in prison in 1951. However, he was such an evil genius that he ended up like figuring out the whole prison system really quickly. He realized how he could become a model prisoner for everyone else and be treated much better. And so he was like the best prisoner in there. He was like honestly doing pretty well in jail, like had really built a life. I think for a lot of people whose lives are completely unstructured, just chaotic, you know, their parents just never have their shit together. I think a lot of people like that end up in jail and they're just, they end up liking it because it is the only thing that's ever been structured for them. You know, there's rules, there's a place to be at every time of the day. In prison, he got really into music. That's where he first discovered it and he would like write songs all the time. He even took classes in prison and one of the ones he did really well in was the Power of Positivity class. And he kind of used this like, sort of like the, you know, law of attraction type ideal to get everything the rest of his life. It became like his way of life. He twisted it into something where he could use it for power. went into jail when he was 16 and he didn't get out until he was 32. Now think about that. He has been in jail more than half his life at that point. So when it was finally time for him to be freed from prison, he actually wanted to stay there. He even asked if he could stay in prison because it was like the only home he'd ever known. It was like, he became so used to jail that it, it was his world. He wanted to be there. And it wasn't like there was anything waiting for him on the other side. Who knows where his parents were, mom, let alone dad. And it's not like he had kids or like a lover to find. So he was kind of just like 
thrown back into the world. But he was finally released from prison on March 21st of 1967. But most of the time in between jail and the start of the cult uh, is you know, there's so much information on it. I can't really like explain everything he did during that time, but he was, he was all over the place. He even um, touched in with Scientology at one point and then decided it was too whack even for him. <laughs> he got married at some point. Eventually he decided that he wanted a family and Manson never had a family. Like I said, like he was abandoned. He had serious abandonment issues. He decided to make his own family. He literally called it the family. He was in California at this time. Um, he went back and forth mainly between Los Angeles and San Francisco and he would prey on women and men um, who were also kind of misfits, who never felt like they fully belonged. Um, some of them were from well-off and decent families, but they never felt heard. Um, he made women feel special and beautiful and wanted. Back then he was very charming, didn't look the way that he has recently. Um, he could play guitar. People were very interested in him, women especially. I was living at the beach with my sister and she came home and said to go down to a friend's house, which I did, and Charlie was there and he was playing the guitar and so I was introduced to him there. That night we slept together. I felt really loved by him almost immediately mostly because I think at that point I was really desperate. He bought a place it used to be a rundown movie set actually it's called Spawn Ranch I think is how you say it and he had all the Manson family members live there with him. There were really intense rules in the Manson family. He banned books, watches, clocks, and calendars. He refused to let any members in the family wear glasses. He really wanted his family members to see the world around them without the you know pressures of society. He was very much against like societal structure and Hollywood, fame, and money, like that whole you know, you know what I mean? He was all about them seeing like natural beauty and removing all of the distractions. Another way he had them see natural beauty is acid, which personally I've never tripped acid before, but I've talked to a lot of people who have, and apparently it's just incredibly beautiful. Everything looks nicer, prettier. I mean, if you're having a good trip, of course, but everything is more like vivid and, and you can end up feeling really positive and powerful. And the Manson family cult literally did hundreds of drug trips together. Charles Manson, I think, first really did want just like a family and wanted some control and some love uh you know to fill those voids but eventually it turned into such a power thing for him like he became the leader and the king of his little cult he got obviously more extreme as time went on about that he started developing very strange ideals and fears. He ended up with a lot of paranoia. He was really into the Beatles. In fact, the whole group was into the Beatles. If you don't know much about the Beatles, um, their hippie movement was like so big. It was so like on edge back then that it was like embraced by kind of the outsider group. With the Beatles, he got specifically really into the song Helter Skelter. Skelter to him kind of took on a new meaning. He described Helter Skelter as like an incoming war that was going to happen. He was sure, he was almost acting as if he was a prophet. 
he became very interested in the book of Revelations, um, the Bible, about the end of the world. He was all about the apocalypse, the world's gonna end, Armageddon type deal. Started to really use that as a power uh, with all of his followers. Started kind of scaring them. And all of them were pretty delusional. They thought that the Beatles were also fans of them. One time they even did an interview with Rolling Stone magazine. And during the interview, they were like demanding that the producers call the Beatles for them. And like, they, it was really bizarre. They really thought they had this like crazy connection to the Beatles and that the Beatles music was all encoded with these messages like directly to them. It was super, super bizarre stuff. And they also had a very strange connection to the Beach Boys, which I don't think most people know about this. So Dennis Wilson, one of the Beach Boys members, in early 1968, um, Dennis invited two girls back to his house with him. The girls that he picked up were part of the Manson family and they ended up bringing him back to Charles Manson and Charles always wished he his music because he was very into music and he was talented and he always wanted his music to become famous he wanted to become a famous singer songwriter so when he came across Dennis Wilson who was a successful guy with all these connections he was very interested in him and at first, Dennis was like super into it. Um, he started making connections for him. They started writing music together. He introduced him to a record producer. And apparently they had produced an album with 10 different songs on it. They had spent tons of time together working on this album. It never went anywhere. You still can't find it to this day. And eventually Manson felt kind of betrayed or wronged by this record producer that was working on this record for them and like freaked out and got in a fight with Dennis. When they decided it wasn't going to work out and Dennis decided to bail on the project and at one point Manson grabbed a bullet and showed it to Dennis and said, every time you look at it, I want you to know how nice it is that your kids are safe. Basically threatened his whole family and Dennis was not having any of that. He freaked out and beat the shit out of Charles Manson, dude. Wilson left, the album blew up, nothing ever happened with it. He said he never wanted to see Charles Manson or be involved in the Manson family again. And after that, he refused to even talk about the whole situation. So interesting little side note there. Um, but that is what really made uh, Manson's so angry, what like lit the fuse even more than it already was, especially with his hatred towards Hollywood and musicians and successful people and, you know, just mainstream, I guess. So obviously with him, the whole Manson family cult was angry um, at society with him. Whatever he was mad at, they were mad at too. And they ended up making a celebrity kill list. On the list was Frank Sinatra, Elizabeth Taylor, Tom Jones, and Stevie McQueen. And in the summer of 1969, um, Manson became increasingly angry and paranoid, um, was just slowly going more and more insane. And at one point, one of Manson's family cult members was named Tex. That was his nickname. And he ended up scamming a black drug dealer. His name was Bernard Crown, but he was known on the streets as Lots of Papa. Scammed him for money. And on July 1st, he threatened them. He 
threatened the whole Manson family. So then Charles Manson himself went to his apartment and shot him. He actually did not kill this guy, but he thought he did. The next day he heard a news report about a Black Panther member, which the Black Panther movement was really big during this time. Um, there was a lot of racial tension in the country, similar to how it is now. But anyway, the news reported that a Black Panther member was shot and killed, and he thought it had to have been uh, lots of Papa and it wasn't so he got really paranoid He started thinking the whole Black Panther movement was gonna come after him because he started seeing it as like my cult versus their cult Like he didn't understand what the movement was or and he just thought it was like teams and they were gonna strike back at him. So he got really paranoid about it, and that's when he really had his most racist time. He started really talking about a race war, an imminent race war that was just gonna happen eventually, and it would be Armageddon for the whole planet. On August 9th of 1969, Manson went to his some of his female followers and cult members who were living with him, woke them up in the middle of the night and said, you need to go with Tex, Tex being the other member, his kind of sidekick, I guess, um, and do everything that he says. And this is when the Manson murders began. These girls were so into him and would do anything that he said and he knew that. So he took advantage of it because he wanted people dead, but he didn't want to do it himself. So he didn't even go to the murder scenes. And that's why to this day, even though he was convicted of murder and life in prison, he never himself killed anybody, which is just interesting to know. He had these girls and texts basically do it all for him. And this was to officially begin Helter Skelter. I was in the car with Tex and Linda Kasabian and Susan Atkins. And he said, do everything the text says. Well, he gave them an address and told them to kill everyone that was there. There were four people at this house that night. The actress Sharon Tate, wife of movie director Roman Polanski and eight months pregnant, was at home with her friends, the hairstylist Jay Sebring, coffee heiress Abigail Folger, and Roman's friend, Wojtek Frakowski. A young man named Stephen Parent was also on the site. All the people at this house lost their lives that night. I don't wanna to get too much into the whole murder because it's, it's very graphic, but everyone was ordered to have some part in it, even some of the girls who got freaked out. Tex Watson went onto the property first. When he came upon Stephen Parent in his car, he shot him four times. Eventually, I think he like went through a window or something, returned to a front door and allowed the rest of us to enter. There was an attempt to tie tie everyone up. Abigail Folger was tied up along with the rest of them. She started trying to get away. She started to run out of the house. And one of the female cult members chased her down and stabbed her in the back like a ton of times. I ran after her with an upraised knife. And we went out through a back door out onto the lawn. And I started stabbing her. I, I, I ran her down and I began to stab her. I remember her saying, I'm already dead. It was awful. It was really, really brutal, especially for the time. Um, and they took their blood and wrote on the walls with it, death to pigs. They wrote on the refrigerator, wrote Helter Skelter there too. Um, and it was just extremely brutal. Next morning when the maid came to work and obviously came across a horrible scene. And Roman Polanski, who was famous in Hollywood, um, was also accused of killing his wife. Everyone thought it was him for a while and he went through hell. He was just a weird dude though. Um, so it was kind of an easy person to blame, but the cult got away with it at first. Like, literally the next evening, Manson decided to send the same group of people, plus two other members, with a text to another address and was ordered to kill everyone there. 
And this was the home of a supermarket executive. And his name was Leno LaBianca and his wife was Rosemary LaBianca. The Manson family arrived at the house, went in and killed them both brutally, stabbing them tons of times. Tex turned me around and handed me the knife and he said, do something because Manson had told him to make sure that all of us got our hands dirty. And um, I stabbed Mrs. LaBianca in the lower back about 16 times. Another just brutal killing, wrote on the walls again, a very similar style to the way they did before, and then they left. Scene at the LaBiancas was no less macabre than that at the Tate House. And on the walls, written in their blood, were the words, death to pigs, and rise. And on the refrigerator door, the words, helter skelter. And so when this broke, people were like so freaked out, like these must be connected. But at first, investigators treated it as two separate cases completely. They thought that the second one was just a copycat case, which is where someone sees another murder happen and gets like inspired by the way they did it and they go off and they do the same thing. Not the case, these were definitely connected and definitely was carried out by the same people. So they thought they got away with it. Um, and it wasn't until August 12th of 1969 that they were all arrested for Grand Theft Auto. They had uh, several stolen cars. Um, so that's what they first brought them in for. But interestingly enough, they were released because of mistakes in the warrant. On August 26th, the family actually killed one of their own members because they thought he was a snitch. His name was Donald Shea. And interestingly enough, a doormate of one of the Manson members overheard her talking about the whole thing and killing him and stuff and she reported to the police. Once she was in custody, she started talking about everything they had done. The LaBianca murder, Sharon Tate, everything in jail. And her stories were retold by other inmates that listened to her and they told the police probably to get some type of like plea bargain or something. That's what really unraveled the whole thing. After that, they arrested all the rest that were involved. They were able to connect them to both of those murders with DNA evidence. And four months after the crimes were committed, they were finally charged. Now this became such a huge topic of debate because Manson himself never killed anybody, but he forced these people to do it. He's the cult leader. So what responsibility does he have? And there are people to this day that think he's innocent and should be let go. Um, I just don't think people quite understand that just because you didn't commit the murder yourself doesn't mean you're off the hook. Um, and that's what Manson kind of thought. Like, if I just have everyone else do this for me, I won't get in trouble. But he did. And court was a disaster and, and such a spectacle for the whole country that was watching this. Prosecutors really went after Manson also for his words of wanting to start a race war, his hatred towards the Black Panther movement, and that's what they really used in their defense. He tried to claim that he was innocent um, throughout the whole thing, and he completely orchestrated, he still had control over the women after this. Um, he would tell them what to do. Uh, there was bizarre times where he would make them like jump around inside of the courtroom or have like a fake like panic attack or something, or like an exorcism almost. During the trial, as in the lives before, the three women took all their instructions from Manson. The entire proceedings were scripted by Charlie. Every day we'd meet and he'd decide, well, today I want you each to stand up and hold your hands in some stupid symbols. You're going to get up and scream. You know, each day was scripted. And that day we proceeded through the events. With Manson, he believed that everything we did was creating some picture that was going to go out in the universe and somehow change it towards his, bend it towards his will. Oh, 
He even got so angry at one time that he even launched himself 10 feet towards the judge. One point he decided to carve an X into his forehead to symbolize his removal from society, that he was no longer part of society. And the girls, he made the girls do it as well. They literally all carved X's into their foreheads during the trial. President Richard Nixon spoke of Charles Manson in a speech on August 3rd. Here is a man who was guilty, uh, directly or indirectly, of eight murders without reason. Uh, here is a man yet who, as far as the coverage is concerned, uh, appeared to be rather a glamorous. But in January of 1970, everyone was, everyone that was being prosecuted was declared guilty, even Manson, um, given life in prison, all of them. The jury found each defendant guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and murder in the first degree. In a separate trial, Tex Watson was also found guilty and sentenced to death. And, and according to U.S. court system, the Manson family killed eight people, but there's many reasons to believe they killed a lot more than that. And there's a lot of other cases out there that they believe might have been connected to them, but they had no way to prove it. So on the record, the Manson family killed eight people. And at first, Manson was given the death penalty and people were really angry about this. So they actually brought it back to court and it was eventually reduced down to life in prison. Every day I wake up and know that I'm a destroyer of the most precious thing, which is life. And living with that is the most difficult thing of all. And I do that because that's what I deserve, is to wake up every morning and know that. So recently, November 19th of 2017, Charles Manson passed from natural causes. In his most recent prison mugshot, Charles Manson looks every bit the crazed killer and cult leader who shocked and fascinated America in the late 1960s. Most famous victim was actress Sharon Tate, the 26-year-old pregnant wife of director Roman Polanski. That is gonna be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode and make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you wanna watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.